came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response. Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Medding. And I am Xenia Chmutina. This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, Jason. Senia, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. How uh, is your week going? The week is good. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I've been listening um, to the final edited version of the latest episode and also been looking at kind of feedback on Twitter and all the channels. And it looks like people are really enjoying it. Um, you know, season six so far, which is great. I hope so. It's been like something, something fresh, I think, making people consider the way that they do stuff, hopefully. Yeah. And, you know, on that, obviously, we're planning the audience participation episode uh, i'm already excited although we haven't even started recording it yet but you're always excited you know, i'm always excited about those episodes and so we just want to remind you all you know to please submit your kind of thoughts and comments on the questions that we've got um this time around mm-hmm. and so this time we've actually decided to ask two well completely separate questions depending on kind of where you are in your career mm-hmm. um and you know you audience, you can decide where you are in your career. It's kind of not prescriptive, right? But um, so the question one is for the established scholars. And we want you to tell us what is important to you as you engage with early career researchers. And then we have a second question for early career researchers. And this is the question that we've also been asking all our guests this season. And the question is, what inspires you and what needs challenging? So please send us your thoughts, um, email us or DM us or, you know, find us on Facebook. Uh, we would really love to hear from you. And then, of course, Jason and I will spend um, hours and hours discussing it. And it will be great fun. Yeah, I'm like, I want to say something about like my response, but I need to hold my tongue <laughs> until the episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just just keep, keep that hold that thought, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there is so much inspiration to get through, really, in the season, right? So let's just stop talking and actually listen to people from whom we learn. So it seems like we mentioned the manifesto in almost every episode that we've um, been recording in, like the last couple of years, right? And um, mm. the process of working with that collaborative group of people and disaster scholars, I think has really influenced you and I, Ksenia, and the way that we Mm -hmm. have been going with the show. Um, And uh, so, of course, one of the exciting developments with that group of people in the last year was the um, creation and publication of the Accord for Disaster Studies. We're going to link to this in the show notes if anyone listening hasn't seen it yet, even though we've discussed this previously. in our live streams with JC and different guests last summer. And one of the questions that we sort of keep coming back to, and we've been discussing for a long time, is the question 
of insiders and outsiders, and I use both of these words in quotation marks. And what insiders and outsiders mean in disaster research and practice, not necessarily in terms of residency or nationality, but also in terms of power. And today we will be talking to two early career researchers who have positioned their contributions in the Emerging Voices special issues from these two distinctive perspectives. And we're talking today with Nimesh Dungana and Vanika Arora. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Vanika Arora is a conservation architect, and she's currently doing her PhD at the Institute for Culture and Society at Western Sydney University. Her research focuses on heritage management in Bhaktapur in Nepal. And Dr. Nimesh Dungana is a lecturer in disasters and global health at the University of Manchester here in the UK. His research focuses on political possibilities and challenges of youth-led bottom-up activism in constructing alternative narratives of care, accountability and justice. Okay, so um, I want to uh, start just by unpacking this idea of insider-outsider a bit. So all of us have kind of experienced this in some way. Um, and it's been, become kind of a topic for uh, disaster studies to reflect on. But I wanted to start off by just um, asking you both to talk about what that means to you. And maybe thinking especially about how you joined disaster scholarship um, and how you brought both insider and outsider perspectives, i.e. your experiences, to um, this scholarship. Could I start with you, Namesh, please? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jason, and thanks, Finia, for having me. Um, uh, and thanks for that question. So, of course, I tend to grapple with this question of insider and uh, an outsider a lot, um, both as an ethnographer and a disaster researcher. Um, and if you ask me, like, how, what does it mean to, uh, to me? I, I tend, I tend to think about it in sort of two ways, right? So first, um, I consider myself as, uh, as an accidental disaster researcher. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I joined a disaster scholarship as someone with a very little to, uh, you know, virtually no background or formal training in disaster studies. Uh, it was accidental in the sense I was in a very early stage of my PhD research when I sort of, um, uh, there was this um, huge earthquake that struck Nepal in 2015. And I, I was a witness to that, albeit I was a witness from a distance. I was in the UK preparing for my PhD. Um, so this paper that you mentioned in the early career, um, that paper basically traces my own sort of uh, journey of becoming an accidental disaster researcher. So the, the point about in, in, uh, insider and outsider is that as an out, I came to the field of disaster study as a complete outsider. Mm. with no training, no academic background. Uh, and that also means I was very tentative about my approach, my, my uh, scholarship, although I was very passionate about doing something about Nepal because I'm originally from Nepal. And I was really sort of, um, uh, sort of interested in doing uh, around sociopolitical dimensions of disaster. But I was both tentative and kind of t sort of even timid in, mm. my, in my approach as an outsider, right? So it's really uh, mm. thinking about it. Uh, but I think that outsider perspective, um, in a way, was challenging initially when I, as an early career as a PhD researcher, because I didn't know the field, um, had a little background about the major theoretical and empirical debates in this in the, in the disaster study. Uh, but it also, I guess, uh, to some extent, played in my benefit, 
Uh, and as an outsider, I was able to become uh, a bit more ad- academically curious and adventurous. And interestingly, my, my supervisor also didn't have any background in disaster mm-hmm. research. Mm. So we could both, it was a kind of a mutual process of learning mm-hmm. and reflections, right? So we kind of, as an outsider, we both were kind of thinking about it. And, 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 and so it, it, as an outsider, I, didn't, I could be a bit more adventurous and in my approach, so my background is more in development and global health research previously. So I could bring in more um, interesting sort of perspectives to build my theoretical and conceptual framework um, and, and, and try to make it a bit uh, truly sort of multidisciplinary in my approach and analysis. So that is one way I can think about as an outsider coming to a field, which is a established field of study. Mm. Um, secondly, I can think as an ethnographer as a, or also some, uh, someone from Nepal, as, and this is a topic we talk about a, a great deal as an ethnographer and qualitative researcher as our own positionality insider yeah. and outsider, right? So, and that came, that uh, something that I encountered in conducting my ethnographic field work in Nepal. So I am an insider in the sense I'm from Nepal, born and raised, but I've been outside um, of the country for a long period of time. The whole idea of doing research on Nepal earthquake stemmed from my own sort of personal values of care and compassion and doing something about Nepal. Uh, but uh, when I started my field work, I, I faced many different challenges, like, you know, because I am often also seen as an outsider because I've been outside the country for a long period of time. And that that had kind of practical Im- implications in the way I, I conducted my study and my selection of case study, uh, my interaction with gatekeepers. Uh, you know, like my my reorientation, how the way I reoriented about uh, sort of ethical concerns uh, and what it means to be suffering, to struggling from disaster. It's just something because I, I wasn't I, I I saw that from a distance, but I wasn't part of that. I didn't see that. Mm. I, I was I didn't I didn't face that disaster. Right. So it also um, had to be kind of reorienting myself as an outsider. So I think that I would I would I would say it is like an insider and outsider from a more uh, scientific perspective, from a disciplinary perspective of someone mm. coming from outside and being an insider, mm. and then also as an outside kind of uh, dealing with this uh, insider-outsider dilemma when conducting my ethnographic failure. So much Nimesh for these reflections. Vanika, how about you? So I find myself constantly crossing the categories of insider and outsider. Mm. And while I think these are useful ways to examine one's position, uh, I don't necessarily think any researcher or practitioner inhabits only one position. Rather, depending on the form of engagement, we inhabit multiple positionalities at the same time. I first uh, engaged with the disaster context in 2013 as a member of ECOMOS India, which was a network of heritage professionals in India and internationally. Mm-hmm. We were documenting damage to heritage in the wake of the Himalayan flash floods. And I visited some of the affected areas with a group of undergrad students a month after the floods. So here I was an outsider not only to the region of Garhwal, but also someone who was from metropolitan Delhi and had little idea of rural life. I was also an outsider in terms of having, like Nimesh, no training in disaster studies, 
or even cultural studies. I went in as an architect with a specialization in heritage. So there were in many ways I was like culturally, physically, epistemologically ill-equipped to sort of mm. understand the context that mm. I was engaging in. Uh, when we started our work, we were documenting nationally and state-listed monuments, but it quickly became clear that that's not what people thought was important at all. And what we were thinking was the things we studied was not uh, not important to locals. I remember uh, vividly looking at a 14th century stone temple which was on the verge of collapse and just 300 meters ahead there was a temple that was like 40 or 50 years old which had already been repaired and was already back in use by the time we went to document it mm. and mm. Uh, you know the priest was mostly puzzled by my presence in the area mm -hmm. and this experience basically you know it just highlighted how fraught outside assumptions can be about what is important and how incomplete they can be and mm. you know how individual and community agency in a disaster can't always be accounted for by academic metrics so our work showed some interesting results but whether it was important for the locals who were experiencing the disaster i can really cannot say after this uh, i spent a couple of years in the policy and management space in india looking specifically at heritage and disasters but i very uh, cynically came to the realization that you know policy academia and practice seem to be three different realms with very little conversation between them and in some ways i was like an outsider in each of these realms hmm. uh, but this experience in some ways made me an insider in Nepal, uh, where there were similar points of disjuncture between what is done and what is written, what is policy and what is practice. So, you know, in my current research, where I'm definitely an outsider in many respects, I've tried to elicit participation that's not solely dictated by my research concerns, but rather a dialogue that goes both ways. But this meant that often the lines of inquiry that I was willing to follow were not the things that people wanted to talk about. So often it meant just giving up on research questions midway and picking up new ones and adapting my research methods. Mm. Thank you. Thanks so much for this reflection. I will talk a little bit more about this. Um, but I want to go back to Nimash and um, I want to ask you a few things about kind of ethics and ethical concerns, because this is something that we don't talk much about in disaster scholarships. And when I was thinking about it, perhaps the only two papers I could immediately think of are Chris Gomez's and JC Gayat's paper on post-disaster gold rush, and then Laurie Peake's and JC's piece in the nature about kind of ethical research and the need for the code of, code of conduct. And so when I read your paper, I immediately wanted to know, you as a Nepali person, but also as a disaster scholar, do you think it's possible to actually conduct time-sensitive research in a context of disaster. And of course, we know that this context is um, it changes rapidly all the time, right? So is it possible to conduct research that is balanced against ethical considerations? Um, I guess the uh, first point about the, the, uh, the limited discussion or on ethical concerns in disaster scholarship, I think you're right that there's not much uh, discussion about it. 
Um, that said, I think in recent years, there's been some advancement and people are paying more attention to it. And mm. there's been more, some scholarship on that. Some, there's some of them that you also mentioned and I've also cited in my work. Um, but I think the general discussion, if you really look at it, is still very much focused on what people, some people call and particularly um, qualitative researchers have long called procedural ethical considerations, right? Or more normative standards of ethical compliance. Uh, or in other words, how people should behave in disaster context, right? So these are sort of certain um, sort of um, normative standards. Uh, on the other hand, there's very little discussion about more practical, real, or every, everyday forms of ethical concerns, considerations, and dilemmas that uh, researchers, particularly early career researchers, encounter in the field. Uh, or, or even when designing or analyzing their data. So it is really that gap that the, I think what we need to be thinking about when we are thinking about ethical concern. Uh, and, and that is, that kind of gap is uh, really uh, kind of what inspired me to, in this particular field, to think about ethics because often the whole journey of becoming a disaster scholar, disaster research is stemmed from your, uh, ethical concerns for, you know, ideas of care, compassion, accountability, justice, and all sort of things uh, for disaster-affected communities, right? So it is really something, and that kind of informs your research design, your research question, what do you want to investigate? So I think it is really important to think about not just the procedural ethical concerns, that is very important, but also to have, we need to have more discussion about the practical real-world concerns. Um, and to answer your question about time sensitivity and how do you strike a balance between time sensitive research, uh, but also do ethical research, uh, my short answer is yes, it is possible to conduct time sensitive research, but also make um, it ethically uh, sort of compelling. Uh, I think the larger point is about uh, who conducts the research and how. So that is really the question. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not about. Uh, so in my case, uh, again, as a, as a Nepali person, and, and this links back to the point about insider and outsider, right? So in my case, very early on after the earthquake, in the very immediate hours, I could, as an insider, as someone who is from that, I, I know the context, so mm -hmm. I could understand what is happening there. I could, so un I could under unpick some of these really contentious issues surrounding response and recovery. Uh, so that was like sort of the advantage that I had as an insider. But that does also means that I, I had to revisit my ethical concerns, right? Some of the ethical procedures that I followed for initially when I designed my research, when I went to the field, um, that had to be done. One good, one example, concrete example is also, uh, we, if we are conducting time sensitive analysis, often we, we think about, okay, conducting interviews or field work, right? And that may, that may actually be, uh, not not only undesirable but also um, uh, not realistic in 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 the immediate aftermath of the war, uh, disaster so alternatively we might think about alternative sources of data for example media mm. reports ngo reports right and that is like less ethically problematic than conducting field work and often by conducting field work we may be inf interfering with the life saving efforts that um, uh, imaginary actors um, uh, undertake so instead, we need to also think about what data sources we use, you know, what we can draw on mm. uh, to kind of answer that kind of question. And it may be so we can also uh, re-engage with the, the idea. And, and it, is, it is the idea of change, right? Whether this is change or not is also very interesting because in my own experience, 
Um, when I conducted my field work, I had to change my ethical um, uh, outlook um, because there are certain things that did not materialize. My plan did not materialize. Mm. The case study that I wanted to investigate did not materialize. Uh, mm. So things changed for me as a researcher, but things were not changing for people in the ground, for affected yeah. communities, right? They were being, they were, they, they were, they were waiting. They were being denied disaster relief. They had to wait. Uh, they were being um, they were being neglected, uh, and so there were they were facing this very uh, st- uh, kind of status quo. That uh, mm. you know, after the disaster, it was only a change for me as a disaster researcher, but what not for the the communities that I, I was investigating. So I think to answer your coin, question, it is really time sensitive research is important because it really what um, um, Anthony Oliver Smith says, like total, totalizing impact of disaster, right? We, mm. to understand that we need to do a, a much more time sensitive research, but I think we need to focus on our, also on our pr- practical experiences. We need to think about different ways of collecting data, different sources of data, but also all think about the way the, to deal with this um, mm. unpredictable, uncertain nature of, of field work and, and, and associated ethical dilemma. So Vanika, I love that in your paper, you actually describe who you are, which is really cool. So I want to quote from from your paper. Um, I quote, I'm of Indian origin from an Australian institution engaged with a specific local context within Nepal. My position as researcher, female, Hindu, upper caste, foreign, and yet not foreign enough, influenced every interaction I had in Bhaktapur. In some interactions, the balance of privilege and power was clearly skewed while in others, a common language, professional background, or religion negotiated some of these differences, end quote. So I, I can tell how deeply you try to engage with the community. And yet, as you write in your paper, a community is so diverse that even when living there in the community for a while, you will still not see the whole scope of diversity. So could you tell us a little bit about your experiences and how do you think that we might balance these insider-outsider perspectives in our research practices? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when I chose to study the ongoing reconstruction of heritage in Nepal, I hadn't fully considered if I was the best person to do this, to mm. be honest. I had only briefly visited Nepal before the Gorkha earthquake. But it was a place where for some reason I immediately felt at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I chose Bhaktapur as my field, it was based on the literature that I read, which all mm-hmm. seemed to suggest that this was a very homogeneous city, a compact city, no migration. Mm-hmm. And the narrative that I would come across all the time was about, you know, how somehow, unlike the rest of metropolitan Kathmandu Valley, Bhaktapur was unchanging and mm-hmm. more clearly connected to its past. So I'd gone in with this uh, very romantic idea about what Bhaktapur was mm-hmm. and talk about problematic assumptions. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was immediately challenged because uh, when I first entered the field, Bhaktapur is certainly not a city which is stuck in the past. Even though a lot of its residents are very proud and very protective of the complex traditions, festivals and places, 
yeah. its relationship with its history is not neutral either. The past in Bhaktapur is deeply political and deployed in quite specific ways. And while the city might appear homogeneous to a visitor, if you begin to engage with individuals that live and work there, you realize that it's not monolithic. Uh, and it's not a monolithic local identity, but people are continuously navigating their own place in the city and their relationship with and across communities. Um, mm. Based on my observations in Bhaktapur, I strongly think that researchers should be cognizant of and acknowledge difference, uh, differences of ontology and epistemology, mm -hmm. and recognize that your position gives you both access to certain forms of knowledge and restricts mm -hmm. you from other forms. And I think uh, that this notion you know, extends beyond binaries of local, global, north, south, insider, outsider. Mm -hmm. For instance, you could be a dominant caste, Nevari, male resident of Bhaktapur asking the same research question that I was and not be able to bridge certain caste, gender and ethnic divides mm. that I could bridge precisely because I was female outsider, which in some senses meant that the stakes were actually lower. Conversely, mm. I was constantly dependent on gatekeepers and translators and their positions. So my own access was limited not only by me being an outsider, but also by the positions of my gatekeepers and their interpretations of what lines of inquiry I should follow. So while my participants shaped my research, I would say my gatekeepers also quite heavily influenced what forms of knowledge I had access to. Mm. And then recognizing that this power imbalance works in all directions, both from my end and towards me and sort of embracing the messiness, so to speak, I think is important. And yeah. sort of reflecting upon which voices you choose to foreground and acknowledging that this act is a political act, mm. I think is critical. Because I can't claim to speak for Bhaktapur. Uh, I don't think anyone can claim to speak of, for all of Bhaktapur. So mm. the voices that I do present need to reveal some of the complexity that exists. Mm. I love this reflection so much and it really highlights everything that we've been talking about. And it's just so interesting um, to hear you and Nimash uh, speaking in the same episode um, because it seems like these perspectives of insider and outsider, they resonate, right? There is much more synergy if we really embrace them in a kind of in an ethical way and a mm -hmm. reciprocal way than there are tensions. Yeah, thank you both so much for these um, amazing reflections. And it raises a lot of other questions that will hopefully inform some of the discussions we'll have later on in this season. And indeed, for future future conversations on the podcast, um, there's some things that you brought up, especially about like, you know, language that we use. And like, ha like I, I was thinking, Nimesh, as you were talking about the accord, like, and all the conversations that many of us had about the use of words like local and community and insider. And it's like, there's a, there's a lot of discourse happening about that. And, and there's just no easy solution, um, to the, to the problem of how to, how to frame something so that, uh, you don't run into some sort of problem further down the line. Right. Um, yeah. but it's so, it's so interesting. And I think this conversation on insider outsider today, 
connects really well to our episode that we released last time on positionality. Mm-hmm. And you both have shared about your journey in a very personal way. And I, I thank you both for that and how your ideas and approaches were shaped by different experiences of um, being an insider or an outsider at different times. Um, so we're excited to continue these conversations with scholars like you both who are pushing beyond comfortable boundaries and limits in disaster studies um, and doing something different and really challenging people. I hope our listeners um, can really take something away from this conversation today. So thanks both for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisastersDecon. The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe. And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Senya, Jason and us. Nimes, Dungana. And Vanika Aroda on Disasters Deconstructed podcast.